Touchdown, Arkansas State! Culver is safe! The Red Wolves have walked it off! Amir, coast to coast! Lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. Well, here we are, the very first edition of the Second to None podcast. Matt Stiltz, Brad Bobo, mm-hmm. this is the A-State podcast, we're calling it. I want you to take a mental inventory right now of where you are. Take a second, look around your surroundings and You're follow asking the way. No, everybody. Everybody, everybody. listen to this. Okay. Both of you. And that will be the answer to the trivia question. Where were you when you first heard the Second to None podcast? All right. I, I've got it in my mind where I'm at. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, this is something that I know a lot of people are doing right now. And, you know, Brad, you and I have talked about it. We've been together a, a long time. I'm going into my 17th year as uh, the play-by-play voice at Arkansas State. You've been here going into your 19th mm-hmm. year. And, you know, the podcast thing is starting to take off more and more. And the more we thought about it, the more we thought, hey, this is a good idea, a, another outlet to kind of connect with Red Wolves fans. And that's the key thing. And even though, you know, we've got you know, now 10 hours a day of local programming on the ticket, and you can hear that on online and through an app. It's still not something A-State fans everywhere maybe think to do. This is – uh, as you said, another way to reach them, no matter where they are, whether they're in Northeast Arkansas or no matter where you may be, uh, you know, and, and we're, let's be honest, because that's what we're going to do in this thing. Part of our hesitancy, I would imagine, in, in getting into this is I, I'll let you people know. I, maybe, I, maybe and I'm just speaking for myself, but I don't think I am. I would say not all and maybe even most broadcasters don't really like podcasters because anybody as, can do it as broadcasters like we get paid to you don't just get to roll up and do you know brain surgery because somebody hands you a scalpel and may it and it's it's a different form it's something where you and i can be a little bit more relaxed obviously when when we're doing a football broadcast and i'm in the booth and you're down on the sidelines i mean there's a certain way to do that this is this is very much different and you know a lot of the times when we're out in public you know we're and we know everywhere we go and including on this podcast who we're representing but at the same time you know we can't and it's not good form if you will for us to give out our opinions on a whole lot of stuff and I think that in something like this i mean we can we can connect kind of in a different way than than we have before with with a lot of our fans that's why i decided in the first two minutes to go in on podcasters let's just (laughs) just start stepping on toes early and often we're we're gonna hate the whole form and set the tone here now it it does give people an opportunity to uh uh you know take things a la carte to a subject that's close to them so hopefully people uh who are uh of a uh, of a mindset that Arkansas State's close to them, we'll we'll give it a listen because you know, we've gotten to be around it a long time. Um, you, somebody that came into the area specifically to be around it, me, uh, someone who grew up here, twenty minutes from campus with no exposure to it, uh, and kind of living, seeing life through that uh, scope, and that's something we can obviously talk about along the way. So, yeah, hopefully we'll jump in here and and have a little fun, not be too boring. There's something people might give a crap about. Well, and I'm really looking forward to when we get into football season and you and I are, you know, with the team every single week and on the road and being able to share some of those stories. You know, some of my favorite moments are just on road trips mm-hmm. with, you know, you and the rest of our broadcast team, whoever that may be at the time. But, you know, we've got some good stuff to tell that we really haven't had a platform for before. No. So that's one of the things that yeah, I'm looking forward and to. And we're enough years into it now that, yeah, the statute of limitations is up on a lot of that stuff. That's so very it'll true. be good to get into those tales. 
Now, one thing we've been doing for, I guess, the last seven or eight years now. It's been, this was our seventh one. Because I went back and looked. Uh, I came to this company from Arkansas State in 2013, but I think it had passed. You know, I think media day had already come and gone. So we, we started doing this like this in 2014, but there wasn't one in 2020. So when we went down to New Orleans for media day, it was our seventh one together. Seventh one together. Now, I remember going down to New Orleans at one of the very first media days when the conference was still so young, and I remember – it was me and Jay Walker, who's the play-by-play voice uh, down in Lafayette. We were the only ones there. We were Radio Row, and we were set up at the end of a hotel ha- hallway and, and doing our broadcast there. And and it has grown exponentially since then into this well-oiled machine that uh, is Sunbelt Conference Media Day. And... It's great because the league has grown yeah. so much so, over yeah. the course of, uh, you know, just a couple of decades. But just from the time I've been here, and again, this is year 17 for me, it's night and day. The The talent difference, I'm talking about football here, and what we see on the field. I mean, it was such a young league, and now you're looking at, at a league that – is one of the best in the group of five. And I think a lot of people would say right there behind the American as far as what we're seeing as far as competition. Yeah, level so I'm right not now. I'm not saying this to go in on you right off the bat, but for folks who don't know, Stoltz is a North Texas alum and his alma mater, you know, kind of ruled the roost at the birth of this league. They won the first four conference championships. How would those teams fare in this league right now? I don't know if they'd win a conference game. <laughs> That, and that just that's the truth it's just come that far since then so you know and really the last handful of years especially and you know commissioner gill got up there uh, on media day and he kind of kicked off the event last week and he was talking about the bowl win percentage mm-hmm. which is around 700 right at it for five years for the last five years and no other conferences can go out there and and boast about something like that so not only are we getting to bowls and not only have we gone from one bowl tie-in which was the new orleans bowl way back then and that went to the conference championship and there were no questions asked nobody else was going to go to a bowl yeah now you've you've got the five bowl tie-ins per year and you know you've got our teams not only going to bowls but they're winning the games yeah, it's come – look, it, it, and if you're listening to this, you already realize that the league's come a long way. And, and Media Day, you know, came with it, both in uh, the amount of coverage it got but also the presentation the league put on, which no one person makes that so. Even though we felt like there was one person that deserved a huge amount of the credit for getting Media Day for the Sunbelt to where it got. I'll tell you, it's John McElwain who mm-hmm. worked in the league office a long time. It seemed like, and again, he would maybe he would t- say we're giving it too much credit, but it seemed like this was his baby. He helped elevate it, especially from from an I'm from a broadcaster standpoint. It got to the point where all we, uh, the, all the labor it took for us to be ready to do a full day of broadcasting was telling John. We're going to be broadcasting from this time to this time. Segments are each this long, quarter hour piece, whatever. And you were done because what you'd get back was your day laid out for you. And it was a lot more complicated than filling out schedules for me and Jay Walker (laughs) like it was a decade ago. Now it's in a position where, what do you think, uh, 14, 15 radio stations maybe are, are broadcasting from there. You've got a to fill out those schedules you've got to do it in a certain time frame and then you've got print to worry about the print writers are over there you've got the press conferences espn plus is recording a broadcast and in this case uh, this particular year it was in a different location we were set up at the sheridan in downtown new orleans and you know everybody had to go down the street to do the espn plus uh broadcast with the coaches and the player representatives yeah but 
from our standpoint, yeah, it's a little bit tighter quarters, but it really was a non-issue in terms of having the radio row, the stage for the press conferences there. Um, you know, there, honestly, there are pros and cons to doing it there versus the Superdome. The pros is you woke up at the place you needed to be already. And I was in favor of that. Yeah. I thought that was great. But so that part was cool. Um, so uh, we mentioned, you know, that McElwain you know, helped kind of elevate this thing to where it had gotten. In a regime change and things like this, be it athletic departments or conference offices, a lot of the players change. Arkansas State, seeing that firsthand, you know, switching athletic administrations and who's coming and who's going. Same thing happens at the conference level. Consider it wasn't an in-person media day in 2020. Yeah, this is going to be the first post-McElwain media day. And we didn't know what to expect. No, I, 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 honestly, I'll do you one better, and we didn't know what to expect. I full-on expected it to suck. I just let's just say I expected it to suck. We feared the worst, and when we walked into the Sheridan on that Thursday, the media day, we saw the setup was nice. They had a big conference room, expanded area where we had seats for for all the the print journalists kind of in the middle there was uh, uh, a food area on one side uh, of the room and then you had radio row on the, the near side of the room as soon as you walked in so the setup was nice we saw that was taken care of but um, I will tell you uh, the, the Sun Belt did a very good job and I think they exceeded everybody's expectations and uh, credit to Nancy and everybody over at the league it is. And, and for, so, for making it work when, again, there was a lot of fear that uh, because of the, the change in staff, uh, the, the personnel there at the Sun Belt, but the league pulled it off and I, I thought did a, a really nice job. Me too. And that's and part of the reason I don't mind coming on here and being as bold as to say I expected it to suck is because in the end it didn't. They did a good job. We were just as well taken care of from a scheduling standpoint and able to go down and over the course of the day, uh, you know, bring a state fans or our listeners in Northeast Arkansas, essentially everybody, uh, especially from a head coaching standpoint. I don't know of another outlet down there talked with all 10 head coaches. And we did. Yeah. We talked with all 10. We talked with player representatives from many of the teams. I'd say at least half the teams in the league. Uh, we talked to at least one of the player reps. And, and then, um, you know, was able to talk with Tom Bowen uh, on the broadcast. He was down there uh, along with the rest of the athletic directors from around the league. But And I know you talked with, with our buddy, Alan Gooch from the Cure Bowl. <laughs> uh, Alan Gooch, yeah, from the and, Cure Bowl and, in and Orlando. Like, candidly, look, yeah, we we kiss up to Alan every time we see him. We sure do, and, and he's a super nice guy. But We've been to every bowl in the league, and yep. we're we're not afraid to say it on this platform or really any other. The Cure Bowl is the best bowl we've been to. It, it is the experience it, is off the charts hands down the best experience and before you even ask and we're begging to go back i mean because it's somebody somewhere in your head you say all right those guys i mean they just said the cure bowl's the best which one's the worst it's the new orleans bowl I, no I knock on the people at the new orleans bowl but he, i don't know if i'm gonna go that far i, I will at, at least in the time a state played in it I can't go back to the first time when it was in Lafayette. I'll give you that. Everything's out of whack. I can't even speak to that. But in terms of we were rolling off all these bowl trips and going to the New Orleans Bowl, I thought there was the least amount of bowl experience with the New Orleans Bowl. You're talking about just the experience outside yeah, I don't of mean the game. and all. I, just mean the, yeah. I would think my guess is if you were an A-State player and you played in every one of the bowl games, and at the end they said, you know, where'd you have the best week? They'd all say the – Cure Bowl, and they'd say, where'd you have the most boring week? And they'd say the New Orleans Bowl. Yeah, just the outside activities at the Cure Bowl, being able to go to Universal Studios. And I remember having they've got the Riverwalk area or whatever it is there at Universal and having a, a big pep rally for the game. Yeah. And both teams were there and bands and spirit squads. It, it was just – it was really, really neat – just the whole presentation that they had throughout 
the course of that week. I'll say, and I'm not knocking the New Orleans Bowl. I just think it's just a long time. It just was so long entrenched that, hey, that's the top pick. That's where the champ is going. And I just think – I just felt like when the time A-State played that game, there were fewer bowl activities tied to it. And I think largely there's a mindset down there, and not with this is not about the bowl people. This is in general, that if you're going to New Orleans – you don't got to have a lot of activity set. You'll go find your stuff to do in New Orleans. Maybe that's true, but in the end, when you start stacking it up as a bowl experience, it, it caused that one to come up a little bit short of some of the others. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinish the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Now we're talking about media day and and kind of steering back towards that. And we'll get to Thursday here in just a minute, but, but the media day activities really get started when you get there. And you and I... You know, we had worked a little bit here in Jonesboro uh, on that Wednesday morning. We got in the car. We we drove the six and a half hours down to New Orleans. We get to the hotel, and about the time we get there and get checked in, that's when the uh, the big event is happening down the street at the House of Blues. Yeah, there had been a, a fade dodo for a few years before that. They always held that at Mardi Gras yeah. World, but this, and that was that yeah, was, was nice. Neat. Yeah, it was cool. This same similar concept, just without the theme, at the House of Blues, um, where the place was you know, shut down just for the Sun Belt, and uh, yeah, I mean, cool event. They walk around with food. They got food set up. It didn't do anything for me, but I really thought the concept of having dudes sitting there rolling cigars was pretty neat. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was cool. That was a cool touch. Uh, same thing with the, I mean, they're not dumb. They set a pretty girl at a table full of bourbon shots. Yeah, that, I mean, that was enough to. That's just marketing. Draw a lot of people over by, there. Yeah, by the, uh, and that's same league. That's House of Blues, smart enough to do that. And But, but it's, it's an opportunity to kind of get to see all your friends from uh, around the league media-wise and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool fraternity that we have with, with the other broadcasters in the league. And I'll tell you that me and the rest of the play-by-play guys in the league, we've got a group text that we get, keep pretty active. And uh, to see uh, the rest of, well, most of the other play-by-play guys and other media uh, around the league, that was uh, that was neat to see. And then a lot of the head coaches were, were there yeah. at the House of Blues, too. And that was a chance to see them before media day and before our interviews with them. And, and I uh, got a chance to hang out with, with coach Jones, which was, was good kind of getting caught up with him, but he actually had to leave early because he had a dinner down the road with a bunch of his former players from Tennessee, which I thought was pretty cool because yeah, and he had some dudes he, that played for the saints that yeah. were his former players that were, yeah, taking them to dinner. So they went out and did that. And as we're walking around, I thought one of the cooler things that happened that night was I ran into Jamie Chadwell, and I've always enjoyed visiting with him, the head coach at Coastal Carolina. And obviously he was in the spotlight for a good part of the season last year with, with Coastal having their run and uh, just a, a good – down-to-earth guy that you kind of root for and you know i remember having a lot of conversations with blake anderson and he thought a lot yeah. uh, of coach chadwell and and the job he's done there but well, an it, easy it, guy it, to root for and we probably talked to him a good you know 25 30 yeah minutes. but that even goes back to remember uh there was a time you know our first experience with chadwell was he had to go cover for joe moglia when you're at media day he did uh, you know he was the oc but was the acting head coach because moglia was having health issues and he ended uh, up being the yeah the, the and, head coach for that entire even year. back then you saw well they got a, they got him a dude there they got the next guy in place probably and the job and, and you know and we didn't even realize it at the time at the house of blues here tonight we're standing there talking to him 
an hour or so maybe tops after he had been presented the eddie robinson national coach of the year award he did not bring that up by the way so <laughs> i'd have had that thing on I, the chain I hanging fe- around my I neck kind of bad i didn't know about it but uh it was um it, it was neat getting caught up with him and obviously congratulating him on the year last year and he, he's got a, a really good perspective just on everything that happened and the fact that you know, he was good to his word. He, you know, one of the big topics at media day was the fact that he had grown the mullet that he promised his team he would, he would grow out at the end of the season. And it it was looking pretty good. I don't yeah, know. It was I fine. Mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a little bit jaded about the mullet game because I, I think number one, I think TW Ayers was out front of that. He was doing it before it was a thing. I think everybody's just trying to catch up to him. And I think his is better. I'm not going to argue with that. But, I mean, coaches is nice. It keeps his little neck warm, I'm sure, over there on the coast. <laughs> and we did we did have a chance. Uh, I did an interview down there during the course of that day with, with uh, Kara Ritchie, and we interviewed Sil- Silas Kelly, one of the linebackers there at Coastal. And, you know, he was talking about just uh, possible – opportunities marketing wise endorsement wise with hair care companies that's how far <laughs> that mullet things well gone. and i know i talked to tw down there and he mentioned talking with chadwell and some of the coastal guys and guys from other places that may have been down there with mullets and you know they'd come and it's it, it reminded me you ever been on the road and seen two motorcycles pass and motorcycle riders have this little you know you put your hand down low and it's the motorcycle wave to each other or you know, or Larry I, David. I didn't know that happened. Yeah, you, they got this. You kind of got this motorcycle wave, or you know, same with with Larry David and the Prius. You know how the Prius owners all had a that recognized one another on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> These mullet dudes are the same way. All right, they, I, they they, got they've little, got their own little. They club. got a little mullet brotherhood. That's so you. You stop and chat up when you're mullet brothers. So we had a good time at House of Blues, and then um, that that night before media day, we. We go back to the hotel. We run into some folks, and uh, Jay Walker being one of them, we uh, we decide, okay, well, we're not going to the room. We're going to head down the street and go to Harris. That's right. Believe it or not, uh, we live in Jonesboro. Neither of us have a casino within walking distance of our house, so we you don't let that opportunity pass by. And we did not, and other people did not either. It was uh, some of the head coaches. In the I, I will tell you, we were not the only ones that uh, that went from the media day activities over over to Harris. And so, I want we we agree. We won't tell you what least, head coaches. Yeah, I think I least, saw at least three head coaches. Yeah, there. let's see. At least yeah, and maybe I think a fourth one was around there some too. Uh, but it was interesting because because like then the next day you'd see him, you know, and it's. How'd you do last yeah, night? Yeah, did you do any good last night? It was just classic, you know, gambler talk. I mean, it, it, I end up sitting at the lunch table with one of them. Did you do any good last night? Yeah, there was one that came out 1,500 ahead. He said, well, I did okay, but he, he felt like he was having to do okay to cancel out his wife, who was with him on the trip, and who wasn't doing as well. And he talked about the fact that he had to basically uh, get up and make himself leave. When you well, realize, he stayed too long. Well, well, no, it's not even that. And not stayed too long financially. He just realized the other coaches were gone. And he thought, it may be a bad look if I sit at this table all night before media day. He said, because I could have sat at that table all night. My juices, competitive juices get flowing. Well, These guys are still competitors. The best thing you and I did was we got up yeah. and we got out early. Because the thing about it is, we don't have the contracts these dudes have got. So, no, they, so at some point, you get ahead. It, it was a total yeah, hit and run for us. Yeah, it, it worked out okay. So we get through the, the night before, and then we roll around to media day on Thursday. We mentioned we walk or go down to the eighth floor of the Sheridan, which is where the setup was. And as soon as we walked into the room, we saw that the setup was really nice. And then to kind of get things going, Keith Gill, the commissioner, gives his statement and uh, – yeah, soon after that, that's when, you know, we kind of start to get into interview mode a little bit. 
Butch Jones uh, did a good job on his very first Sunbelt Conference Media Day. And then we had our two player reps. You already mentioned T.W. Ayers, but uh, Andre Harris was there too. Yeah, those guys uh, did well. You know, Dre rocking a real sweet suit. He brought two pair of glasses, and he doesn't even need glasses. They were not prescription. He had the clear lenses. He had the sunglasses, depending on what kind of mood he was in. So uh, they had fun with that. And, uh, you know, Coach Jones, as an interviewer, you're not supposed to really ask questions that can be answered in one word. Mm Mm-hmm. I broke that rule and knowingly broke that rule with Coach Jones because I, I and what I asked him is, I so I said, do you like the fact that your team, these Red Wolves, are completely covered in mystery? Nobody, you and me included, knows what to think or make of this football team. Now he expanded on it, but he he gave a one word answer to a question that was a yes or no question. Yes. The, that that's great and uh you know that's kind of been one of the refreshing things about being at arkansas state is you know you're able to keep the main thing the main thing and that's your players and that's your program development and uh so i like kind of being in the shadows a little bit i like you know we haven't had one one player that was a first team or second team all preseason pick and so i kind of like that you know because we're gaining respect every single day and when you have over 50 new players coming in and most of the coaches are new to the staff including the head coach you know there's going to be an element of mystery there but with all the roster turnover especially I think there's as big of a question mark next to this A-State football team in 2021 as as any team you're going to find yeah I think it's unprecedented I mean because it's this perfect storm as you said team used to having good years coming off a year where the record wasn't as good coaching change the portal leads to an unprecedented roster turnover it's just this perfect storm of stuff that's made to where we don't know a thing about this bunch and butch jones loves it he does and i could tell he was fine with all the media day stuff but i remember kind of later in the day i was i was standing next to him and we were talking about something and he said man I'm over this. He said, I'm ready to get back (laughs) and get back to talking ball, you know, with my guys. So we talked with with Butch. We talked with um, T.W. Ayers and Andre Harris. But they were able to also, you know, visit with the other nine head coaches from around the league. And, you know, I I guess uh, we'll start off with the first one we actually sat down with. And that was Sean Elliott from, Mm -hmm. from Georgia State. Uh, yeah, who, you know, over the years, when you get these coaches have been here a while, and then all of a sudden they realize we've been there a while, when they sit back down, you, you don't always, each year, you don't have to start at ground zero. I mean, oh, okay, I remember you guys. Because I know they know you by name, not necessarily, or they should, but at least when they sit down, they go, okay, I'm, you know, you get, there's a familiarity, you know. They, so they you do have up. cards with our names on yeah, them. But you, uh, but, but you know, like, you can kind of it gets things looser quicker, and you can have a little fun. and And Coach Elliott's one of them. At first, yeah, I can remember. Listen, I, the first time he sat down as the first year head coach at Georgia State, and he left. I'm like, ooh, this guy might be a jerk. <laughs> you but, really thought that? Yeah, I did. But since then, and, and this year, we had a lot of fun. I, I like him. I like his personality, and uh, you know, it, it was a good conversation we had with him. Yeah, we brought up a few things. Um, One was just the number of shootouts we've been having between the Red Wolves and Georgia (laughs) State. I go back over the last three years, uh, the Red Wolves won 51-35 back in 2018. And then Georgia State uh, broke all kinds of records in uh, 19 when we went to Atlanta, and they won that game 52-38. And then one of the wilder, more exciting games of 2020 was when they were – in Jonesboro on a Thursday night and we won that game 59-52 and uh, I think we had that reverse pass from Rashad Paul and he hit Lincoln Perry in the back of the end zone but I mean there's been a whole bunch of scoring these last three years and Sean Elliott 
he really didn't mind that. What great contest. I mean, if you want entertaining ball, if you want an entertaining game to watch, you, you look at our last three contests, I think three years ago, boy, the halftime lead was, was crazy, and, and we made a little run there in the second half. But the, the next two games were, were really just great contests to watch. And, you know, go go out and compete, and you, you love high-scoring games. I mean, I – I played defense all my life, but I like to score points. You know, I think everybody in the fans, in the stands, likes to see points being scored. We enjoyed our visits with with the other head coaches as well. Another one of them happened to be uh, the head coach in Lafayette, Billy Napier, who's going into his fourth season. And what a job he's done uh, down in Lafayette! And ten and one last year, seven and one in conference play. And you know, we we talked about. Last year's game between the Red Wolves and Cajuns down in Lafayette and uh, had mentioned that well, one of the more surprising scores of the year last year is when the Red Wolves led six to nothing at halftime yeah. in that game. And then we talked as well about, you know, look, he just became the first $2 million coach in the history of the Sun Belt. Lafayette also had the first million dollar coach in the history of the Sun Belt. Uh, but uh, equally as exciting for those guys as they sold the naming rights to their stadium, which is going to give them some cash to do a, a overhaul at Cajun field, their facilities in every other sport are off the chart. And that was the exception. So they're addressing that. And, uh, we asked coach Napier about that. And, you know, he, he gave a little insight as into a big part of the reason why he's still the coach of the Cajuns. And every guy listening to this can relate. It, it sometimes just boils down to, Happy wife, happy life. I'm young. I've got young kids. Um, my kids are nine, six, and four. The boys will be seven and five here pretty soon. So uh, my wife and I, you know, I think the pace of the job, you know, kind of fits where we're at in life right now and, and really enjoy the leadership that we have and the, the quality of life that we have there in Lafayette. So, you know, our university has stepped up in a major way when it comes to taking care of our staff. Uh, and giving us the infrastructure and the resources that we need to kind of execute our plan. And I think that's what's most important nowadays. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize your home really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. Also had a great conversation with the first year head coach at ULM, and that was Terry Bowden. And I got to tell you, I I was really excited (laughs) to meet this guy. I've always admired Coach Bowden from afar and just what what he's been able to accomplish. And it's impossible not to have respect for his family, in particular his dad, who you know, is a Hall of Fame coach, spent all most of his career there at Florida State. And I guess it was the night before the Sunbelt Conference Media Day, the news came out that Bobby Bowden, who's now in his 90s, had a terminal condition. Yeah, and, and we were Coach Bowden's – I think we may have been his first interview of the day. So he sat down and – you know, honestly, if we were, we were kind of the first media people around to know that that condition was actually pancreatic cancer. Now, eventually, he he didn't tell just us, but I do think he probably told us first, and the news traveled out of New Orleans that that's what uh, Coach Bowden Sr. is dealing with. But, uh, yeah, Terry Bowden, really uh, fun interview, as you expect, and had a little kind of tongue-in-cheek part with the introduction because – Obviously, he's got a ton of experience, but the truth is his most recent experience is being a GA at Clemson. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that kind of stood out with that interview is is the fact that we got into Rich Rodriguez, his new offensive coordinator, is a, a former head coach at places like you know Michigan and West Virginia, uh, Arizona. But, you know, Coach Bowden kind of recruited not only – Rich Rodriguez's son, who was a quarterback at Arizona, he got him to come to ULM, but he he asked if his dad was part of that package. That's interesting. Yeah, we heard of package deals before, and a lot of times, you know, uh, you'd say, hey, I'll hire the coach if, 
you know, if it takes get, bringing in the kids because I want the coach. This one almost sounded like it went the other way around. What happened was his son at Arizona jumped in the portal. And his son had two years of eligibility. His son's a valedictorian, working on his doctorate now. He's already got a master's, bright guy. And he wants to be a coach. And so I called Rich to ask about him. Yeah, he can play it. Then I just happened to say, Rich, does he come with an offensive coordinator? And I said, Rich, you've been a head coach before. You're going to be a head coach again, but you'll never coach your son again. you got a couple of years. you got a chance to coach your son and have a good time. And he bought in. He bought in. And now at least I've got a guy that has, we talked about facilities. Because I went to Clemson just to say, okay, I better call the play. I called plays all my life. I ran. I had been studying the offense to run, all the manner, everything, just play calling, the signals, everything. All of a sudden he comes in. And I'm saying, okay, you, you do it as well as I do. You go do it. You know, so now I can raise money and I can recruit. I was anxious to talk with Kane Womack at South Alabama. And, you know, first-year head coach there, he had been the defensive coordinator before at South Alabama, but since had, had left and gone up to Indiana to join Tom Allen's staff. And, of course, Tom Allen and Indiana, one of the, you know, great stories in all of college football in 2020 and – what they were able to do, you know, and their turnaround, having a great season uh, there with the Hoosiers. But, you know, it's amazing just that kind of coaching tree because uh, Kane Womack, and the first thing I asked when he sat down was how his dad was doing. I really got to know and, and like his dad a lot when he was at Arkansas State. And he was here for just one year. For yeah. those who don't know, he was the defensive coordinator for Hugh Freeze, for that team that, that won the conference championship back in 2011. But just talking with Kane, he said, you know, his dad just really, really enjoyed the time in Jonesboro. Obviously, they, they enjoyed their time in Jonesboro so much. And, and certainly the success that they had at Arkansas State was a big part of that. But, you know, that's that's where we're from. My mom's from Batesville and my dad's from Branson, Missouri, that area. They both went to the University of Arkansas. So, um, you know, for us, that was a, a really special time. Now, here's the, my big takeaway from Kane Womack is that because our first exposure to him at all was sitting down at that table. Yeah. And he came, I mean, it was like, what a nice dude. We're standing there waiting for the car to leave at the end of media day. Who comes walking up? Mr. and Mrs. Kane Womack chatting us up again. Hey, yeah. what kind of trip you got? At the, talking up, again. So I, I had to go check because we know a lot of the same people. Between, as you mentioned, you know, his dad and Tom Allen and all these guys on that staff uh, at either Ole Miss or Indiana that were A-State guys along with, you know, uh, he's worked with Kevin Peoples and Darren Hiller and Grant Hurd and uh, he's brought Corey Batoon and Maurice in. Harris and yep. Corey Batoon's with him as his defensive coordinator. Matt Shadid is his uh, assistant head coach in the strength and uh, strength and conditioning spot. So I checked with some of those. On, matter of fact, we were on the way home and I yep. texted some of these people. I said, "Hey, is Kane Womack really? I mean, is he as good a dude as he gave the impression?" And I won't say which who who responded, but it's one hundred. He's the real deal in every way. We love in caps, Kane Womack. Uh, obviously one of the younger head coaches in FBS football, but uh, just really impressed with him. Uh, enjoyed kind of going back and retracing, you know, the, the roots of that coaching tree, but uh, uh, good to see him and catch up with him. Good, good to hear his, his dad's doing well and kind of enjoying. Catching a lot of fish. The uh, retired life. Uh, right now as well talked with uh with jake spavadol the head coach at texas state uh, i know you weren't part of that interview but at the same time uh enjoyed just kind of uh visiting with him uh, about a topic that we talked about a little bit in the off season and that's the fact that when texas state announced their signing class uh, there was something that was was glaringly obvious <laughs> they had a they had at one point, and I think it might have changed at some point, but for the longest time, they had a no freshman signing class. It was 100% transfers. Um, and it was getting a lot of conversation. You get it in this day and age because it was possible. Now, so it, where a lot of people around the country were talking about Texas State saying, you know, going with the 100% transfer route, 
turns out that may not exactly have been the plan. Last year, like for this recruiting class, based off the one-time eligibility and the eligibility freeze and then the immediate eligibility if you transfer, that was something that we put into play. Now, we put out the same amount of offers for high school kids and anybody like in our conference and in the state of Texas, you know, what what ends up happening. So it wasn't like you were just staying away from them. No, they just, uh, we had, had, uh, literally we had seven high school commits and five of them flipped to Power 5 schools. The third-year head coach at Troy is Chip Lindsey. Had a chance to visit with him. And I think one of the biggest shames on the entire schedule is the fact that that A-State and Troy are not playing. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because when you look at the, the young history of this conference, no two schools have won more conference championships than the Red Wolves and Trojans. And – some of my favorite games that uh, that we've called over the course of the years uh, have been A-State Troy games, and some have been, you know, some of the more memorable games we called. I remember uh, back in that 16 season when Troy was in the top 25, and we go on the road and and win in Troy 35 to three. Yeah, that was a great day for, for the Red Wolves and, and getting that top 25 win on the road and. You know, there's been more heartbreaking games. I mean, the the following year, I guess, the de facto Sunbelt Conference championship game in Jonesboro, and Troy comes down and, and scores the game-winning touchdown in, in the final seconds. So, just and that was a heartbreaking day on a day where the Red Wolves, you know, had yeah. doubled them up in, in total yards. I think we had over 600 yards that day, but uh, it was... Well, hang on a second, I just... I just had to get off. I was cramping up. I just had to get up off the floor. I'd caught a cramp here. <laughs> that that was happening on that I don't last know. Yeah, drive. something about bringing up that game just caused my hammy to seize up. There have been rules changes uh, <laughs> since that game. So, uh, anyway, so we talked with with, uh, with Chip Lindsey about, you know, just not having Arkansas State on the schedule and not only – were we upset about that? But uh, he felt very much the same way. Well, I think these are two story programs in our conference that, you know, that have competed against each other for a long time. It just seems like it's uh, – I've always had a lot of respect for that program. And, and now Coach Jones there, I know him. He'll do a great job as well. And But, yeah, it, it kind of be nice to play every year. And, you know, last year we got to come to your y'all's place. That's the first time I'd ever been there because – in hmm. 10, we played at home, and then my first year we played at home. So uh, very impressed with the facilities there and what you guys have done. And, and uh, you know, it's it's. I know everybody's excited about having Coach Jones in there now and getting it going. I'm sure he'll do a great job. Another head coach that uh, was around on media day and uh, had a chance to visit with uh, on the ticket was Sean Clark, who's the second-year head coach at Appalachian State. And, you know, one thing that – that was missing for App last year, and they still had a good year. They went nine and three. They were six and two in the league. But I think you and I both agree, and you know we're not afraid to say this: mm-hmm. the, the best atmosphere in our league is at Appalachian State. And you've got the elevation. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> got signs the thirty three hundred thirty three yeah. feet, but. There's one aspect of it that is head and shoulders above the rest of the league, and that's their student yeah. section, which we were there for – it was a midweek game last year, wasn't it? We, we played them, I believe, on a Thursday. Yeah, we yes. were in Boone, and it was the first time that students were allowed, but it was so weird because we looked down, or in your case, looked up to the stands, and – the students were in different sections, but they were individually separated by six feet. So you had these students sitting by themselves, and they were spaced out six feet apart. And still, it was a great yeah. turnout. So, so people know, like, if you looked at it in terms of Centennial Bank Stadium, if you took the the side the sideline where the the visitors are at Centennial Bank Stadium, which is the, I guess the east sideline. If you took the lower section of that and cut it about in a third to maybe half, App State gives that part, the bottom of that sideline, the length of the sideline is student section. And when it can be, it's full. And when it's full, it's 
the best atmosphere, and you said the best student section in the league, and there's really not even a close second. Last year, as my first game as a head football coach in regular season, Noah Hannon and I walked down. There's no fans in the stadium. And he looked at me and was like, hey, is this how you envisioned your first football game with the Rock? And that was kind of a joking moment and it kind of, you know, it lightened things up a little bit. But our first two home games, we had zero fans. In North Carolina, you had the state, but then the county had the regulations. So we maxed out like 2,500 fans uh, this past season, which, which you guys have been there. That's that's our that's our it factor for our, our players yeah. feed off of it. Our, our fans it's a great atmosphere. love it. And, and I've coached in the Big Ten. I've coached in at Louisville. And, and like you mentioned, I think it's one of the best atmospheres in college football. I don't care if it's Power Five, Group of Five, whatever it may be. Our fans love football, and they expect to win. Butch Jones has already addressed uh, a bunch of students, and they're trying to – you know, enhance the student section and that experience uh, as much as they can, and hopefully they can this year. It'd be great to to have a big time student presence at Centennial Bank Stadium. But it's uh, again, it, it's something that App State usually has that they weren't able to use as a big advantage last year. And, you know, one thing that I found fascinating last year too. You know, they got these two big country music stars that have gone to Appalachian State and. You know, Eric Church being one, and he actually graduated from Appalachian State. and Just from very nearby. Very nearby. Now, I don't know what happened there as far as any kind of fallout, and it, it may be fine still but between the two sides. But uh, I don't think a lot of the App fans were happy that Eric Church appeared in some North Carolina mm-hmm. presentations, being videos or game day stuff. And then Luke Combs, who's probably going as strong as anybody in in country music right now, is uh, he's somebody that went to Appalachian State and really started his music career there in Boone, yep. playing at some of the, the local establishments. So when we were there last year, a lot there wasn't a band. It was Luke Combs up on the video board. During a lot of the timeouts, I think he he sung the national he, anthem. Or he did, yeah, he did the alma mater. I know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he he embraced it. Yeah. So there is a little thing going on. Looking at you, David Nail, <laughs> you're about you are Eric Church in this deal. <laughs> well, it, it's it's neat to have you know people like that uh, connected to your program, and obviously uh, that is something that they were able to add to the the game day experience last year. But uh, app. You know, obviously expected to be one of the better teams in the league once again this year. Uh, talked earlier about Coastal Carolina. We did see Jamie Chadwell and visited with him on, on media day as well. I think everybody, when you look at Coastal and just what they're bringing back on the field, they're bringing back pretty much everybody. And you know, one, they lose a big-time defensive end in Teron Jackson, but still, you they're – Front seven, I think, was really impressive when we saw him in person last year. And they've got the biggest weapon in the league at quarterback in Grayson McCall. And then finally, one other coach we were able to talk to on media day from Georgia Southern, (laughs) Chad Lunsford. I like Chad Lunsford. One thing that happened on media day that um, (laughs) certainly became – a big topic was just right out of the gate. You know, I think the first person, I know the first they person heard, yeah, right on the, the podium and up there in front of the the print media, as far as the, the actual press conference, was Chad Lunsford from Georgia Southern. And there was an accident made where... <laughs> an accident made. I, I think that's the only thing you can you can call. There's it. a screw up. Well, if if you wanted some social media attention with Sunbelt Media Day, it didn't it didn't take long because when Chad Lunsford got up there, he didn't know this was happening behind him, <laughs> but there was a Georgia State graphic that popped up. Yeah, they had a, they had a, a digital video board you know, behind as a backdrop, rotating with other schools up there in their colors, rotating. You know, school and Sunbelt logos, and sure shooting. Here comes Chad Lunsford and his two players representing Georgia Southern University, and lo and behold, here pops up the Georgia State logo, and that goes over like a, a lead balloon. We get done, we get off. All of a sudden, I'm like, did, 
you don't know what happened, Coach? And I'm like, no, what happened? And uh, so apparently uh, wrong logo, wrong school. Anyway, you know, it's there, and um, you find out about it. And it, from what I'm hearing, our fan base is going nuts <laughs> on social media right now. And um, <laughs> But you know well, what? I mean, hey, hey. It's always a good day to start a, a Twitter war, well, right? Well, and you know what? I mean, um, I, I mean, that's just more entertainment, right? And then we talked to, uh, about one of our old buddies, uh, Doug Roos, who the is professor. now the offensive coordinator at, uh, at Georgia Southern. And going into last year, he was the tight ends coach. Coach, Coach Lunsford went ahead and made a change at the end of the season as far as his OC and made Doug Roos the interim. And then after the season, named him the full-time offensive coordinator. But we got to know Doug Roos over the course of many years during his time at A-State. He was here up until, I guess, 2009. You could tell that Chad Lunsford had a great appreciation for Coach Roos and what he's bringing to this offense. Yeah, uh, that is true. And, and he sort of talked about, you know, Coach Roos getting that spot and maybe taking, you know, a step in the process that maybe even Chad Lunsford wasn't crazy about it taking, but it was, you know, a, a means to an end to get Doug Roos uh, named as offensive coordinator. I have a lot of respect for Coach Roos. I was a position coach, um, assistant coach, tight end coach up under him when he was the coordinator at Georgia Southern in 14-15, so I knew what Coach Roos was all about. I thought it was important to go the interim role first. Um, it wasn't for me because I was sold. You know, Coach Roos understands Georgia Southern. He understands what what's, what we have to do on offense, what we need to do on offense, and how to fit it to our players. So I wasn't worried about that. But what I wanted to happen was let him go interim, see how our guys reacted to him, see how they kind of took to his offense or to the way he was coaching. Um, it probably wasn't real fair to him at the end of the year just because you can't change a whole lot because you, you want to make sure you, you, you carry over into our games that we needed to play. But you could see a new energy in our offense. You could see a new energy in our guys. And then after this spring ball, man, you, you see a whole lot of guys bought into what we're doing on offense. So all in all, I think – just our experience at, at Sunbelt Conference Media Day was was fun. Enjoyed it. I, I thought that uh, again, the Sunbelt did a fantastic job, kind of heading this up in a new location with a new staff this year. You know, with the exception of the the Georgia State, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, slip up, yeah. Now it's a moot point. It couldn't happen because it's what happens. You get an in-state team, you know, in your league. I mean, I get it right i mean the the abbreviations that they were using whoever's running that computer real similar i mean i'd be pissed if i had to put an arkansas <laughs> logo up I mean, it, but yes so, i mean i get it uh but yes if that's the worst thing that happened then it was a good job by the league that i want to say it again they exceeded my expectations they took good care of us and in turn you know, and what it does is helps us then provide you know, there's nobody else down there uh, that was had live coverage for seven hours from uh, Sunbelt Media Day. We we're sort of alone in that boat, and so it takes a lot of help from the league to pull that off. And they came through for us. Yeah, thanks again to the Sunbelt and uh, the job they did. And I always, and I know you kind of feel the same way too. I mean, after the off season, it it's hard for me to switch into that football gear. But once Media Day hits, uh, I'm I'm kind of in that state of mind, and, and I'm I feel like that's kind of the first day of football season. Yeah, and I think you know, in a lot of ways, the coaches and other media guys feel that way too. So it's football season now, which means you know we come back for the second second to none podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll probably get to talk more Red Wolves football. All right, so I guess that's it. We've got through the first edition. It's in the books. Maybe you don't get canceled. I don't know who cancels podcasts, but I hope they don't drop the axe on us. Appreciate everybody uh, stopping by again. This has been the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank.